And it's interesting, we do talk in the book about courage. So I don't speak French, Andy, my co-author does, but uh, courage, I'll take his word from it, comes from, it's like le cœur is, is yeah. the heart, right, yeah. in French. And so it's the same, same root. And then when you think about the word encourage, it means to put heart into. Hmm. Discourage is to take heart out of. And so when I engage with hmm. leaders, when I engage with teachers, they put heart into me. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. We're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of reflection and collaboration as we seek to keep growing as teachers. This podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. My name is Matt Beamers. I'm Abby DeGroat. And I'm Dave Mulder. Before we begin, I just want to mention that we relish your feedback, so please drop us a line and say hello and tell us where you are in the world. Share any show ideas or any notice or wonders you might have that will help us succeed. Please send your feedback to hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. Friends, today we are privileged to have our friend Lynn Sonner join us. Lynn serves as the Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at the Association of Christian Schools International, ACSI, where she leads thought leadership and research initiatives, including ACSI Signature Flourishing Schools Research. Lynn also serves as a CARTIS Senior Fellow. In her previous work as an education faculty member in higher ed, she conducted research and published a well published on well-being, adult learning, and student development. She is an accomplished writer who has co-authored books such as Five High Impact Practices, Mind Shift, Future Ready, Bring It to Life, and Flourishing Together, A Christian Vision for Students, Educators, and Schools, which was published in 2021, and which I can thankfully say I use as a textbook in my History and mm-hmm. Philosophy of Education yeah. class. And we covered it last year on we the did. podcast. That's right. Yeah. No, it was a joy. Lynn, yes. well, welcome to, to the program. It's, it's good to have you It's here. wonderful to be here, and it is really wonderful to see the actual, literal hallway yeah Yeah. it's a real thing it is a real thing and it has been something i've really been looking forward to see to see the literal hallway it's wonderful so thank you for having me here at least to see the hallway at least to see the hallway we we hope there's more for you to see (laughs) but if nothing else we're glad you're here for that it's a very nice hallway yeah yeah lynn while many of our listeners will be familiar with your writing i'm wondering if you can share a bit of who you are Can you tell us a bit of your story? What's your background in Christian education? What initially compelled you to be involved in Christian education? What's kept you there? Who willingly gets involved in research? Maybe a bit of that. I've always wondered about that. But hey, if you can just, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Sure, yeah. So I actually started out in secular higher education. So that is my background. I was a professor and an administrator and did a lot of research, had a number of different grants around flourishing and well-being and engaged pedagogy. And when my oldest child went to our local Christian school, I happened to be on sabbatical. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I, I know a few things about accreditation and, and teacher training and staff development. So I said, let me volunteer because I had some time to oh, do yeah. that. And I was absolutely bitten by the bug. That mm-hmm. was it. I never went back. In wow. fact, I, wow. the, the university uh, did an intervention. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they called and, uh, cause, and, and I said, I, I 
this is this is really what I think I'm I'm meant to do. And so, um, just to be able to integrate faith and teaching and learning and bring myself as a whole person to education um, was just fantastic. And I think too. I, I didn't have the experience in K to 12 land, so to be mm-hmm. able to actually have that as well as an administrator. So I started as a volunteer and then uh, became sort of the academic dean there and worked for about seven years. And then ACSI came calling and said, would you like to do accreditation in the region? I said, yes. Mm-hmm. And then they quickly found out that I had this whole other career and background sure. and I could bring research and grant writing and thought leadership. And so um, it's, it's been a wild ride. So I've been with ACSI wow. for about eight years. And I'm really blessed to be a CART senior fellow and work with a lot of amazing colleagues and, and researchers there. And to your question of what kind of, I think, don't think you use the word crazy, but yeah. <laughs> what kind of person likes to do research? I yeah. think, uh, you know, the what, what really interests me is to be able to understand deeply yeah. this world that God has created. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and of course, we do that through research, but we also see the effects yeah. of brokenness, yeah. right? Yeah. And we have an opportunity to be agents of restoration in that. And so research mm-hmm. actually helps to inform how we can mm-hmm. do that. I think research is, is a, the ability to do research is, is a gift from God to be able to ask Absolutely. questions and then to be able yeah. to use all our senses, yeah. our knowledge, our wisdom, different yeah. tools to be able to discover. So to me, that's very, very exciting. And to be able to translate that research into practice, I think, mm-hmm. is really is really fantastic. Yeah, yeah no. it's, it's interesting that you started in higher ed and then went to K-12, most of us, including the three of us, it's the opposite, right? right? Like, we started in K-12 and ended up in higher ed, so that's a really interesting backstory. Yeah, and I I probably would have stayed there forever (laughs) if if God hadn't um, just really, really called me to be in that particular school and then the broader broader space. What a great story. Just looking at... Just looking at the research you've done and that you share openly and generously mm-hmm. in the work you've done on behalf of many Christian educators, um, as sad as it is that you're not in K-12, Lynn, in all, in all sincerity, so thankful that you mm-hmm. followed that call on, on your life. When you use the word um, flourishing, I just, you know, that's the title of the book you and Andy Wolf uh, wrote, you know, Flourishing Together, and we mentioned that we talked about it on the podcast last year. And, I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about the writing of the book, the impact that you hope that book might have on Christian educators or students, and um, and maybe I, I can come back to this, but I just really noticed the words flourishing together, um, and just why those two words, so like why flourishing and why together, and how are those related? Yeah. So probably the most important detail to know about the writing of the book is we actually wrote it during COVID. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, you know, most uh, Brits don't think that Americans get irony. Um, That was a big slap in the face uh, of irony because we're writing a book about flourishing in the middle of a global pandemic, which certainly I've never experienced before. And well, I think most of us haven't. Um, All of us. Hmm. And so... um, but it, but it really informed what we were doing because uh, flourishing, if we look scripturally, is not the absence of trouble. So if you look, for mm-hmm. example, at, at Jeremiah 17, 8, you know, those who trust in the Lord will be planted uh, like a tree by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, mm-hmm. right? It, it doesn't fear when heat comes, not mm-hmm. if heat comes, when heat wow. comes. 
and its leaves are always green and it has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. And so it's very scriptural for us to say, how do we actually continue to bear fruit? How do we not have fear when the Mm -hmm. inevitable challenges, Mm -hmm. whether it's a pandemic uh, you know, I, I shudder to mention some of the challenges in education these days, but, you know, teacher shortages, we have student mental health issues, um, political angst, et cetera. When those things come, we can stay rooted and grounded in, in, in God's word and in our relationship with the Lord and our and state of true the mission that we have. So mm-hmm. um, where the word flourishing, so I'll, I'll take flourishing, and then I'll, I'll, I'll work on the word together. So I first encountered the term flourishing probably in the very early aughts. It was coming out of some of the mental health literature. And then it's actually a biblical concept, I should say that. Mm-hmm. So it appears 33 times across 12 translations of the Bible, mm-hmm. which makes sense because, you know, mo- the Bible is written in a very agrarian time, sure. right? Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense if you're out here <laughs> in Northwest Iowa. It may not make sense to all of your, your listeners, but it makes a lot of sense out here. Um, and I think in education, in many societies, we've gotten to a very narrow story about what education mm-hmm. is for. Mm-hmm. So it's for uh, job training, or you know, so that it's a it's a social capital kind mm-hmm, of thing, mm-hmm. but flourishing, and we measure for that, right? Mm-hmm. We measure academics really narrowly, yeah. and we reward academics really narrowly. But flourishing is this much more capacious term about yeah. what education might be for, mm-hmm. and what we would hope for our students and for ourselves as educators. So we've used terms like in the 70s, there was school reform, 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. and we got into like the 90s, early aughts, and we have like school improvement. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping I'm starting to see more of a movement towards flourishing to say that really, uh, we're not just about a narrow range of outcomes, but and certainly for those who are in Christian schools, there that encompasses the spiritual, it encompasses mm-hmm. service, it encompasses mm-hmm. community, so many different different things that God would have for us. We think about John ten ten B, right? Mm-hmm. Life in all its fullness. Mm-hmm. What is educational life in all its fullness that that Jesus came for? Um, and then finally together, you know, the research clearly shows the interdependence between the different school constituents. So, for example, students and teachers. And this is obvious, but when you start seeing it in the research, it's it's really fascinating. So, some of what we found in the research was at schools where students are really deeply engaged in their learning, teacher turnover is significantly lower. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not causal, right? No. That's correlational, but something's going on there. These are related. There's yeah. other research that shows when and not not our research, but it's out there, and, and we uh, published on it. It's actually in the book as well. That when teachers are stressed and burned out, that has an impact on academic gains for their students. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and vice versa, right? When our students are 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 not doing well, clearly that impacts the classroom. So that's why we put that term together in there mm-hmm. because there's this phrase: "We flourish together, not alone." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super helpful. I'm ju- I'm just thinking about that idea of, of stressed teachers, actually. And I think all of us were in relationship with K-12 to teachers, and, and many of them have said something seems to have shifted since COVID, and, and maybe was shifting before COVID. Yeah, um, just accelerating. Yeah, it just feels us, like, or, yeah, it yeah. feels like it kind of just sped up this tra- trajectory. Mm-hmm. So in my, in my class that I teach, Lynn, using your book, just last week we talked about this story of the three bricklayers that, that you share, and they're all working on a job, and, and one sees their work as a job, one sees it as a career, one as a calling. 
And later on, you have this wonderful line that says that fulfilling a calling binds us to something larger than, a, whether, than ourselves, whether a cathedral or a school. Anything worth building cannot be built on it. So I just want to maybe build on that, build on the idea of, of togetherness. But one of the things I'm wondering about is the importance of teachers specifically having a strong sense of calling and how might a strong sense of calling sustain them in a world where it feels like expectations from parents, expectations from students, expectations from administrators, expectations from the larger community, and even just the public discourse around what it means to be a teacher. Um, why might having a strong sense of calling, or how might that be helpful? Yes, I think uh, many of your listeners will probably recognize that quote. So it's actually yeah. Angela Duckworth okay. from, from the book Grit. I want to give credit and yeah. honor yeah. when, when yeah. it's due. I'm, I'm an academic, so you have to cite your sources, <laughs> which, we do, yeah. which we do in the book. And I think that the quote goes something like, um, three bricklayers are asked, what are you doing? Yeah. And so the first says, I'm laying bricks. Yeah. The second says, I'm building a church. Yeah. The third says, I'm building the house of God. Yeah. The first bricklayer has a job, the second has a career, and the third has a calling. And I think the, the basic analogy here is that these three people are actually doing the exact same work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're all laying bricks. And I don't know much about laying bricks. But it's not, from what I understand, very easy. Having been a, a bricklayer's okay. <laughs> assistant before, that is the worst job I've ever had okay. in my life. It, yeah. was, it was really unpleasant work. Yeah, it's, it's hard work, <laughs> yeah. and they're yeah. all doing it, but you can clearly see the mindset that each one is, is bringing. And and that mindset makes a difference. And, and I think mindset or having that sense of purpose is what enables us to stay mm. when the going gets tough. Yeah. So the person who believes that, you know, they're just, they're just laying bricks, they have a job, mm-hmm. they can walk away from that perhaps right. if they don't like it or, or go on. But the person who says, no, I'm actually building the house of God has that, that greater sense, maybe also a greater sense that it's not just on their own strength. Mm-hmm. But that um, this is the house of God, right. and if it's God's house, right? And we know, of course, uh, every square inch, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or as our friends in, in Canada will say, every square centimeter, yeah. right? <laughs> um, Christ declares, that's that's mine, yeah. mm-hmm. right? That's right? And so, it, you know, if we believe that, then all that we do, we do um, unto the Lord. And I think, uh, you know, things right now are tough. COVID was tough. Um, as I mentioned, staffing shortages are tough. Student mental health is tough. And who knows what is next that's going to be tough but purpose is is what gets us through and that's why Duckworth I think gives us that analogy or that parable because um, grit is that staying power and that purpose is what enables us and she unpacks you know a few other pieces as well but to your question purpose is is the foundation for grit thanks Lynn yeah I'm gonna um, kind of transition off of that a little bit you talk in the book um, about schools taking the long view or having a long horizon for flourishing. I love that phrase. Um, and the challenge that in educational environments that are very focused on narrow, immediate results, right? How can, can you suggest maybe um, practices or um, other ideas to help school leaders who may feel caught up in the tyranny of the urgent, mm. right? Um, how can we take that long view, keep in mind that purpose and that calling? Or is, is there any advice that you would have? Yeah, the first thing I would say is particularly in the case of private education, and for all educational systems, these are constructed, Yeah. okay? So 
We we have um, inherited, you know, Rex Miller has a great book about uh, humanizing the learning machine. Okay. Some of those classes, great book. Mm-hmm. It talks about our, our current model of education is really based on that industrial model of sort of packets of information that are digested by yeah. age group. And um, if you don't digest that, then, you know, you get kicked back or whatever the case may be. <laughs> um, and so it's grades, it's it's groups of classes, et cetera. And it was, it was built for a, a different time mm-hmm. for the industrial evolution. I would argue it wasn't particularly humanizing at that point either. Mm-hmm. We think about yeah. factories and sweatshops mm-hmm. and all that. So I think the, the question is really for us to interrogate uh, the environments that are around us. These are constructed environments. Mm-hmm. And so how can we actually, particularly leaders in the school, but also groups of teachers, you know, there's that peer learning aspect right. oh, yeah. to really get together and say, um, why do we do it this way? Is there a healthier way that we can mm-hmm. do this? Can we, can we try this? And I think... Um, Really, you talk about practices. I think really touching base on our mission and saying if we really believe that, mm-hmm. then what are the implications for that? We tell right. this this uh, story in the book. I just want to talk really quickly about the power of questions. There's a story in the book about Halton Hills Christian School, which mm-hmm. is outside of Toronto. And instead of a fancy program, mm-hmm. right, or a fancy retreat or whatever it might be, they said, we're going to ask one question of everything that we do this year. And they asked the question, what does love require? Hmm. And they yeah. asked it of every curricular decision, every parent yeah. interaction, every student-teacher interaction, every professional development decision, and they got used to asking that for the for the entire year. Wow. And their words, we captured in the case study in the book, it absolutely radically changed everything at the school. Wow. And that was a, a, more towards loving their neighbor, loving one another, mm-hmm. um, supporting one another through difficult times, loving people across the world. I mean, it was just, just amazing, the story that they tell. It has one simple question, mm-hmm. Abby. One question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even just the That's time a of a question. Yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. is key. It doesn't have to be a, an overhaul of everything we ever right. do. It can right. be a question and a re-examining of going back. Absolutely. And I think particularly mm-hmm. when we look at Jesus, you know, I know those of us who are in a pedagogy will say, well, Jesus used so many different types of pe- you know, pedagogy. Mm-hmm. We always mm-hmm. think of him, you know, Sermon on the Mount, he's being didactic. We know that's not the case, right? Supervised practice, unsupervised practice, <laughs> parable, <laughs> like all that, all that jazz. But, but really, um, there's this great book by Martin Coppenhaver called Jesus is the Question, and we talk about it in the book. Mm-hmm. And Jesus asked over 300 questions and only mm-hmm. answered eight and the questions that he asked were things like, what do you desire? What are you seeking? Mm-hmm. Um, where's your faith? These, and it, you go, go through all these different questions. So, you know, I think if we look to Jesus as our example, asking questions that are deep will impact mm-hmm. our practice in meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. It's a great one. Thank you. Yeah. I, I love hearing you like that gets very like in the weeds here, like the actual work of us in, as teachers. And I, I think a lot of our listeners are involved in K-12 schools. Uh, they're part of these communities. And maybe a question for you then would be, what would you say to an educator who's listening and says, well, I really want that. I want students in my classroom to be flourishing. Uh, I want to create that kind of culture that, that Holton Hills is, is getting at there, right? I'm not sure how to measure mm-hmm. flourishing, or I don't even know where to start. What, what kind of advice could you maybe give to teachers in that kind of a situation? Or maybe maybe the question I'm really asking is, what does a culture of flourishing look like at the classroom level? Yeah, that's great. I you know I think um, you know measurement is really important. We've kind of gone a little berserk with it in education yeah, yeah. in in one kind of way, right? So even if it's formative or summative, we're mm-hmm. really looking at 
at skills, what can kids do, what can kids know, instead of who are kids, who are our kids becoming? Mm, yeah. Who, who has God created them to be and are we helping them? I think about Ephesians, you know, 320, you know, um, God could do immeasurably more than we could ask or mm-hmm. think. And oftentimes mm-hmm. we're asking and thinking really small. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, I've seen some schools do some really interesting things. Uh, instead of just testing academics, they'll look at other data they collect, like absenteeism or mm-hmm. behavioral incidents or visits to the principal or the nurse, like for non-medical mm. needs, and they'll, they'll try different interventions or, or see if they can reduce those in some ways. Sure. And a lot of those times, what, the, what they're doing is actually cultural level intervention. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, they're trying to shift the culture and make it more healthy for their, for their students. But I would, I would say for, for teachers, you really can't go this alone. Mm. Um, you know, when I was in in my K-12 Christian school, we actually had a few classrooms that didn't have windows, mm-hmm. and um, and they were across the hallway. It was very hard for, for people to see each other. And my point being that even the building that we were in was yeah. forcing people into silos. Yeah. And so how can we uh, try and break down some of those silos and then invite teachers together to ask those types of questions about what they're doing about their students and what will work well for their uh, setting of their school? And the last thing I would say is never underestimate the, parent, the power of actually asking students mm-hmm. and inviting them to participate in diagnosing the health of the school, the, what the culture of the school, I think we can um, we can get in the habit if we make that a habit, right? Like if you if you don't involve kids in that, and then all of a sudden in eleventh grade you start asking them to do that, they're going to look at you sideways. Like what are we doing? But if you start from the very younger grades, starting to say, um, what is our classroom like? What do we want mm-hmm. to do? How do we want this classroom to be? Have yeah. kids talk and interact and dialogue with one another. So there's a lot of practices out there around social-emotional learning that do mm-hmm. that do some of this. But mm-hmm. um, I think about like restorative justice and circles and things yeah. like that are really, really great at, at mm-hmm. doing things like this. But I think we have to make space for the things that are important to us. That's, that comes to that question of flourishing together, right? For the students and the teacher and the whole school community to be flourishing together. Like, invite, invite and involve the students in yeah, that yeah. process, right? That just makes yeah. good sense. I think one of the biggest frustrations for me, actually, during COVID, which you're going to say, like, this is a big frustration, but it really was, was that a lot of schools were not inviting students into their planning. Mm-hmm. This, this is a huge loss. I mean, our yeah. students could have really gotten some first-rate crisis planning yeah. response, mm-hmm. you know, and, and learning that adults don't always have the right answers and mm-hmm. how they can help to solve. And some schools did that, but I think sometimes the things that we invite students into at schools are very well-formed right. and structured, right. whereas really... Let's invite them into some messy things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're going to have to deal with this, and yeah. oftentimes, I think we'll be very, very surprised and shocked that they will yeah. they will have solutions for us that mm-hmm. we didn't necessarily consider. Yeah, like they're living, they're living it. Yeah, like they're living yeah, it. Right. And yeah, thinking about questions, Lynn, I just want to kind of continue down that road. Is I know you get to travel all around to places as exotic as Iowa, like <laughs> London, England, and I was Canada. Exotic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but in your travels, I, I'm thinking about my work um, in school, the school leadership program here. And I wonder what is, what is one question or questions that Christian school leaders need to be asking or need to be asking more about their schools 
or about their leadership or even about flourishing. It just yeah, what are, what do you what are the hard question a hard question they might you might say, hey, ask yourself this. Yeah, so the, the I, I do ask leaders this question pretty much wherever I go. So I'll, I'll say what the question is and I'll yeah. unpack it. So um, when we look back at the last three and a half years, how are you going to invest the resiliency that God has developed in you? Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. So the, the last three and now probably going on to four, I, don't, I can't even count anymore, COVID uh, time warp. But it wasn't just COVID. <laughs> Obviously, it was political unrest and mm-hmm. you know racial turmoil and economic issues and, and everything that's happened over the last few years. Um, it just, if you've made it this far, <laughs> uh, yeah. you probably have a good amount of PTSD, which actually I'm, I'm starting to see now uh, really emerge. So I think that's really important for people to be thinking through how mm. are you taking care of yourself? You know, because people are sort of like the moment you if, if you're a runner, you know, you sort of like sprint towards that that last, sure. you know, you give it all, you leave it all on the, the race course and then you're just kind of collapsing at the end. And then mm. you realize as you're relaxing the next few days, wow, that really took a lot out of me. At least that's me. I don't know. Maybe people are more healthy runners. I don't know. I'm starting starting to see that. So the the question I think is, what has God done in you in the last three years? He's developed resiliency. You you know sort of been like a rubber band that's been stretched. Mm-hmm. And and what are you going to do with that? Are you going to sort of sit back and say, all right, whew, this is great, everything is is going well, where enrollments are up, et cetera. Or to say, um, how can we keep leaning into our mission? We know mm-hmm. there are going to be more challenges that are going to be coming down the pike. How, what have we learned, and how do we invest what God has built in us um, into the into the future? And to that point, you mentioned challenges. You get to visit with a lot of school leaders, and you get to visit a lot of schools. So maybe put you on the spot here, but what do you see as big challenges for Christian education today or into the future? And maybe the flip side of that, what are some opportunities for, for Christian schools? So I think one of the biggest challenges is going to be the staffing shortages. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the, and you're, you're yeah. obviously in an education program yeah, here, yeah. but if we look just at the, the number of students who are going on and getting education degrees is plummeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always an issue, right, in August trying to find your chemistry teacher or whatever. <laughs> you know, and there's, always, there's always something that goes on, but it's really, it's really hit a fever pitch where schools are really struggling to find find. Um, teachers. And so I think because there are just not enough new teachers lined up to graduate with teaching degrees, we need to start thinking creatively. You know, um, John Eckert from Baylor right. uh, talks about um, the the profession that makes all other others possible is right. teaching, right? Yeah. So um, without teaching, we, we don't have other, there's nothing, mm-hmm. there's nothing else. And we need to really think about how we reprofessionalize the, mm. the profession. So I did a podcast uh, about a year ago with Darren Islin, who's with Christian Schools Australia, and talks about he talked about what they do in Australia around this. So they actually have a whole host of innovative partnerships they develop with universities where a student can graduate high school and then stay in the school. And they work with the university, so the student starts student teaching like from day one. Wow. And they work with the university so the student can get their practical experience, get their coursework, graduate with the degree. Which, I mean, if you really think about it, I was a graduate professor in a school of education. The way it worked, and this was back in the early aughts, our student teachers didn't get into the classroom until later in their program. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I 
I think it'd be great if they could be in the classroom from the beginning. I mean, right. how much how much richer? So I yeah. think we need to start thinking about as schools of education, um, K to twelve schools. What are some some ways that we can recognize and nurture um, the desire to teach in that next generation? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's one of the biggest biggest challenges. I think um, one of the biggest opportunities. Uh, I don't mean to get all uh, sci-fi geeky on, on us. On the no, I, I know it. you. I Dave loves that. Dave loves that. <laughs> I think the next three to five years and probably beyond that, the biggest question that society will be asking is what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. So between generative wow. AI and robotics and bionics and, and everything mm-hmm. else, that's that's going to be a huge question that we're already starting to ask as a civilization. And I would argue that... Um, that as as a faith, Christianity has really meaningful answers to that mm-hmm. question. Yeah. And so I think that's the massive opportunity for, for Christian educators is to be able to equip our students to engage in that important conversation um, from a Christian worldview in, in, in whatever vocation or field they're in, whether they're in business, uh, whether they're in education or science or healthcare, whatever they're, mm-hmm. they're doing, um, to be able to engage winsomely around those questions and and to be able to share from from a biblical worldview, I think is a huge opportunity. That's, that's a that's a great answer, actually. Yeah, I Thank love you. that. <laughs> um, Lynn, you've talked a little bit about flourishing um, for students, and also as we think about flourishing for leaders as well. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about being a female leader in the Christian education mm-hmm. sphere. And maybe what encouragement or advice you would give to women who have the potential to be leaders um, in Christian and educational organizations. That's obviously a a passion of mine. I'd love to see more women in leadership roles. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. That's a great question. I would say uh, it's been about 12 years since I got into Christian education and things have changed significantly since then. So there are a lot more women uh, who are involved and including leaders of educational associations, mm-hmm. graduate professors, undergraduate professors, um, women leaders in schools. And back in May, we actually, uh, a number of women leaders in different associations and settings, we held a women's leadership retreat in the Chicago area. So we had 50 okay. leaders. We did that, I think, about, it was before COVID, I think we did it. And we had like 18 Oh wow! So even wow. just yeah. yeah, so even just to see the growth, and that's not that's not a, just a sampling, right? That's right. not the total end, but you know, that's just a sampling to see that growth. So I think you know there are really talented, accomplished women leaders who are are on their way up in the U.S., Canada, and around the world. And I would have really two pieces of advice. The first would be to model the professionalism that you want to see, mm. and and by that I mean. Even though numerically there are more women, there oftentimes, you know, there oftentimes isn't the kind of leadership or mentorship or professionalism that that maybe women wish they could experience. Mm-hmm. And so, as they get into these roles, how do you model that? Can you model that? Can you mentor? Can you bring others along? Sure. Um, and I think that's actually true for both men and women leadership. You know, mm-hmm. how how can you be generative in those ways and yeah. and and really. Um, Again, create and shape the culture that you want. Not everything is within our power, but certainly we we can control our own behavior, and we can we can we can be we can project um, how we would like our workplaces to be. Mm -hmm. And I. I think we can all call ourselves to greater levels of excellence in our in our workplace. And then the second piece of advice is really to find your team. Hmm. And 
-hmm. your team is not always the place that you work (laughs) you know so um my team actually have a a colleague uh in canada uh who who literally has a team so she calls us her team so we'll get an Mm -hmm. email once in a while and it'll be hey team and then she puts her 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 first name and their updates and you know there could be prayer requests or just things that she's doing um or health And, and it's just a close group of women that she provides these updates to and so exciting. So I think that's really important is to, to look for other like-minded women leaders um, who can support you. And they may be at your workplace, which is great, but you may you, it's probably a good idea even to look outside. Mm-hmm. So to that have that a variety yeah. and diversity. Yeah. 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 Great advice. Lynn, in your book, um, you pose this wonderful reflective question, and, and I just... There's so much in your book, like at the end of chapters, you have these poignant questions, actually, that I've been astounded by my own students' responses to. And one of the questions that you that you ask is, is what gives you courage? And mm-hmm. as I've come to know you, I've come to know you as a courageous person through your writing, through your speaking. Even I think you ask courageous questions in your research that in beautiful ways make us feel uncomfortable, like somebody needs to be asking those, those questions. And I'm thankful for that. But I'm wondering... Um, if I can ask you that question, what, what gives you courage in, in your role? Because it's, it strikes me what you do isn't for the faint of heart, Lynn. And so mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what sustains you, what gives you courage, what helps you flourish? Yeah, it's, it's an easy question. It's definitely talking with Christian school leaders and teachers, yeah. period. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, we got, I was in some type of professional development the other day. I can't even remember what it was. And somebody said, what do you love most about your job? And that's that's the answer that I that wow. I gave. I think being an educator is is always it's always been one of the hardest jobs whether you're a teacher or a leader and I think we out we talked through in this conversation how it's it's perhaps harder more than before and so to get to be able to encourage teachers and leaders and to walk with them is what gives me courage. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes um, I think about the story of like Moses in the Bible, right? And how how holding his, up his holding arms, up his arms yeah. right? And I and I think that's that's often how I feel and that that's a privilege mm-hmm. to me. That's literally the role that mm-hmm. I see myself in is helping to hold up uh, educators' arms, and it's interesting. We do talk in the book about courage, so I don't speak French. Andy, my co-author, does, but uh, courage—I'll uh, take his word from it. Comes from it's like le cœur is, yeah. is the heart, right, yeah. in French, and so it's the same same root. And then when you think about the word encourage, it means mm-hmm. to put heart into. Mm-hmm. Discourage is to take heart out of, mm-hmm. and so. When I engage with mm-hmm. leaders, when I engage with teachers, they put heart into me. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That is, mm-hmm. That's amazing. That thank you for that. Lynn, we just want to say thanks for joining us today. We mm-hmm. know you have a busy schedule. You're going to be speaking around here for the next couple of days. But we're just so just want to say thanks on behalf of our Absolutely. listeners and on Dave and Abby just for gracing us with your presence and for sharing your wisdom. And to our listeners, we know your time is valuable. We want to thank you for joining us today for another Hallway Conversation, whether it is this day, this week, this month. We hope the Lord gives you what you stand in need of. And we'd like to send you from here with this blessing. So to our listeners who we're so thankful for and to Lynn and her work, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good week. This podcast was literally dreamed up during one of our actual Hallway Conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. 
Hey, we have a favor to ask of you. Would you be willing to rate this podcast or write a review in your podcast app? Or if you found this conversation interesting or helpful, would you consider sharing it on your social media? Those things really do help podcasters out and we would be so, so grateful. Thanks for listening, friends. Um, and it's just been, it's just been amazing to, I'm assuming we're going to stop that. Oh, yeah. you got yeah. it. I, that's, that's never happened. Dude. That's never happened.